This CityWire podcast is sponsored by Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust. Scottish Mortgage invests in some of the world's most promising and exceptional companies. From healthcare breakthroughs to electric vehicles to a green energy revolution, Scottish Mortgage takes stakes in businesses shaping our future economy and society. As with any investment, capital is at risk. Hello everyone and welcome to The Advice Show. From advising clients to practice management, this podcast will give you UK and global insights into the financial planning profession. I'm Chloe, a reporter at New Model Advisor, and today we are talking about the reputation of financial planning, um, about professional standards and how chartered status fits into this conversation. Um, and to talk about this, I am joined today by Anthony Villis, Managing Director of First Wealth, um, which is the winner of the Personal Finance Society's Chartered Financial Planning Firm of the Year Award, which is quite a mouthful, but it's a great accolade. And we also have Ed Diamond, Managing Director of Benchmark Capital. And the relationship between um, those two entities is that First Wealth is an, is an appointed representative of Benchmark. Um, but I'll let Anthony and Ed um, explain this a little bit further. Um, but yeah, Ed and Anthony, thank you so much for both being here. How are you doing? Good. Nice to be here. I'm very well. Thank you very much. Yeah, me too. So yeah, lovely to see you, um, Chloe. But yeah, looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, it's great to have you both here. So first of all, um, congratulations, Anthony, on, on winning this this award. So my first question is, why do you think you won it? What made your firm stand out? Um, I think, so just to go back in context, we won the award just over a year ago now. Um, and I'd like to say congratulations to the private office who have just won it for this year. So good luck to the, the team there. I know some of the guys I used to work with are chasing this, so well done. I think the, the, we've been trying to win the award for a while. And I think, I guess there's a few things we're trying to do. I mean, one is a commitment to the quality of the work we do and the quality of the advice and the service we provide. Um, but I think the last few years, First Wealth became a certified B Corp. So we've sort of re-engineered the business as a business for good rather than just simply looking after the clients. So what impact can we have on the profession? Um, what can we be doing better for our clients? How do we make sure that we're really looking after our team in the most positive way? How we are sort of engaging with the environment and our sort of our, our green footprint, um, but also our impact on the community. And we set up another business called um, well, it was called Let's Talk About Money. It's now called Thrive Money, which is a financial education business as well, talking to the next generation of clients. So I think probably uh, just a massive amount of energy going into being the best financial planning firm of the year uh, we could be, but also um, all of the extra bits we're now trying to, to do. Mm -hmm. And so this this award is really to celebrate firms that um, you know have a high have really high professional standards, and it's also a mark of, of trust as well. How do you think the reputation of financial planning has evolved, especially especially since um, RDR, which was ten years ago? What do you what do you reckon has sort of changed? Um, I'm at, I'll go on that one. Um, well, I've been, I've, I've been doing these. I mean, I've been a financial advisor for a long time, sort of 25, 26 years now, and um, it's evolved massively. So, you know, when we started, it was very much a, if you can sell something, you're a financial advisor. Um, and obviously, RDR has raised the standards in terms of exams. But I just think even since the last sort of 10 years, the whole profession has moved forward so hugely in terms of professionalism, people actually seeing it as a career um, and it being a profession rather than an industry where people sell. So very much uh, higher standards, um, proper qualifications, people looking at it as a career where they can help people 
and evolve into it. And I think you've got a lot of fantastic businesses who are looking to support people on that journey. So, I mean, it's changed massively over the last 10 years. And I think the last two or three years have seen even faster rate of change. So it's, it's a really great place to be. I think we can all remember, um, Anthony, you can all go back 10 years ago and you remember all the surveys that were done at the sort of point of RDR and they were all comparing the financial planning uh, sort of profession versus other professions and it was always sort of ranked right at the, the sort of lower end. I think you're right, sort of the last 10 years it's come on leaps and bounds. Um, and, you know, I, th I think, you know, people like your business is it's a huge, huge credit to the industry and sort of you've been flag bearers really in terms of a lot of the good things that financial plans are doing. I think, you know, I think obviously consumer duty is coming up next year. Um, I think there's still work to still be done overall. But yeah, I, I definitely would agree. I, th I think, it, you know, financial planning feels much more like a profession than, than ever before, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think we're not we're still not at a stage where um, financial planners are trusted on the same level as, as doctors, <laughs> um, obviously. But um, why do you think it's still there's still kind of progress to make? Where where is it kind of, um, you know, missing? What What's still missing? I think I think the thing I think you've got less bad operators in the profession so that's the first thing and i think because of that it allows the good people to well, i think we've got better at telling the world about the good work we do and i think before it was always constant virus with negative press but i think we've got better at, at that um i think there are still bad operators um unfortunately it doesn't take many to, to bring it down so you know we've seen quite a lot of problems with um sort of pension mis-selling, final salary mis-selling. But I think there will always be that sort of um, an element of that. But I think, you know, generally, again, I'm, I'm an optimist. I'm a financial planner, so I'm, I'm paid to be an optimist. But um, what I see is a lot of younger financial planners or people aspiring to be financial planners. And when I found my way into it, it was almost you find your way into financial by default. Whereas I see now a lot of very, very talented people who want to be financial planners and look at the range of skills that needs required. So, you know, technical knowledge, interpersonal skills, empathy, you know, financial coaching, uh, cognitive bias, psychology. These, it's a, it is a difficult role, but it's a fascinating role as well. So if you can get young people looking at the profession going, actually, I want to be a financial planner because I can help people and I can do something useful with my brain and build a fantastic career, then that feels to me like we're sort of on the, the tipping point of really moving forward to the profession. Yeah, definitely. Right. I was going to build on that, so I definitely agree with Anthony. I think, I think the profession still has got a, a way to go, especially if it's going to be compared with some of the other professions like an accountant, etc., lawyer. And I think still we've got to do more where more people see that as a natural career path. And I think that, that still works. I mean, there was lots of good efforts going on. I, I agree also that reputation management is one where you know, as an industry, we get unfairly labelled too often um, mm -hmm. and, and too much the sort of bad actors because you look at other professions, accountants, lawyers, they have they have those bad actors as well. But I think I think the financial planner still has the sort of, you know, the money pages at the weekend, etc. where I think too many, too often the sort of, the, the few who are, who are a small minority who are not, you know, not acting in the, in the right way to the profession cause, cause too much challenge. I, I think also... Just the way we regulate and, and, our, and, and our relationship with the regulators, I think, is also an interesting dynamic here as well. Because I guess there's few other industries that have so much regulatory intervention or have the regulator step in, and I think that sort of starts to take away from the profession as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, the final thing that I would say is, 
I think still, and I think this is where the chartered status is so important, is there's too many which sees the minimum standards as the sort of benchmark. So getting to level four, that's almost the sort of, you know, you're qualified, able to give advice, and that's almost the sort of, you know, sort of stopping point. I think where chartered and beyond becomes so relevant is it's starting to aspire than the higher regulatory sta regulatory standards. And I think that's an important aspect as well for the profession. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you actually completely anticipated my next question, which was going to be about um, about chartered status and you know the the role that it plays in in making sure that in financial planning is is as the right reputation and that you know people focus on 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 the right aspects of it. What do you think, Anthony? Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, chartered is a combination of obviously passing exams it's a combination of experience but it's also about sort of a wider desire to do things properly i guess i guess that's the, the thing so i mean first world is a chartered financial planning firm which we achieved in probably seven years ago but you know we're constantly pushing the team to, to, to pass their exams to gain the experience to be the best the best they can be and i guess that feels for me as part of the profession this idea like ed says that you know, you can do a few exams and you can be able to advise, but you really want to keep going with it. And even through charters, it's like, well, once you've got chartered, what else is there? Is there sort of specialist skills or you can become a certified financial planner as well? So, you know, in our business, we've got uh, eight planners of which seven are chartered and one is one exam away from being chartered. And one of Sam, who was an intern with us two years ago, is just He's got all his exams to be chartered as well, although he's not allowed to officially be chartered because he's not done five years in the profession. So, right. you know, we see it as a, you know, as a sort of, as a, that's the standard, as, a, as a, the minimum standard to get chartered and then beyond that into specialisms, whether it be something like, you know, estate planning or whether it be specialisms, um, later life planning, that sort of thing. So, you know, that's, that's how we've chosen to run our business um, and it seems to be working and we want to encourage and get it this idea when we're getting people into the business to say we will pay for all your exams we will encourage you to take study leave and paid study leave we will pay for your cii membership so we that's what first wealth does and i think that's i think a lot of people are looking for that sort of um that sort of support and progression within within a business yeah 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 well you just mentioned that there was the that first wealth offers the, that opportunity for um for staff to, to go through that, that certification. Um, what do you think um, firms should kind of implement to make sure that, you know, this path towards chartered status is kind of laid out for, for employees? Well, we, I mean, we've got a, you know, we've put together a, a, we used to call it the graduate training program, but we dropped the word graduate because it was sort of, you know, it wasn't, didn't feel like it was inclusive for people who hadn't gone and done a degree you know we're happy to talk to people whether they leave school or they leave a levels or they come from a change of career so it's a trainee program um for any walk, walk of life really so you know we are, the way our system works for someone new into the business they start off as a, a client relationship manager and these are the exams we would expect and this is the knowledge and the experience we would gain into them being a technical analyst and then into a trainee financial planner and then into being ultimately to be a chartered financial planner so these are the on-the-job skills you would do. This is a rough idea of how long that's going to take. These are the exams that we would expect you to do during that period, not necessarily in a defined order. Um, and then these are also the salary expectations that you would be able to get through these exams and passing mm -hmm. on to the next level. So we sort of built that out. Um, and I think a lot of, I think there's a lot of people who talk a good game. Um, but when it comes to it, they'll sort of say to a member of staff, right, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. But they get to that point, it's like, well, we said we we're going to become a planner or 
you know, technical analyst, but well, maybe not yet. And I think that's always a little bit disingenuous. So, so I've always said to the teams, like, right, if this is what we're saying and the team do it, the least we can do then is to back them to actually support them to put to, to reflect all their hard work. So, I think about it's about clearly laying out the progress and then actually being good enough to actually support them and go through with your word on what you've what you've promised. Definitely, and then based from our point of view, so we work with 165 firms across the UK. Um, a large proportion of those are chartered firms, or or they have the aspirations to get to, to, to chartered, and the financial plan is therefore also on that same sort of journey as well. So, not only do we sort of have a natural affinity and and, and look towards supporting chartered financial planners. I guess then it was part of the support that we provide as well through our academy. There was a focus of not just getting people to diploma standard, but also helping people at diploma standard to actually then to get to chartered as well. And that's a, that's a big focus. So we launched our academy uh, uh, 12 months ago. And you know, one of the routes that we offer is, is to get people to, to charter status for exactly that reason as well. Right. And so in a perfect world, would you want all planners to be chartered? And do you think that's achievable? I think it's an interesting question, isn't it? I think... So, so, so I think there's something very nice about demonstrating the value of charters and actually ensuring that people who need advice and understand advice understand the the sort of benefits of going to a charter financial planner. I think there is a there is a sort of you know there is a real benefit I see in terms of just the the understanding that is recognizing that you're going to be dealing with someone who is invested in the, in, in themselves, making sure that at the top of the profession. That you're dealing with someone with real quality. It's like going to a surgeon, I was like, you know, for, I was like, for knee surgery, and someone say, "Oh, do you know what? I've just got the minimum standard qualifications to do that knee surgery. I'd want to get the best surgeon possible." Um, and I think the top charter status shows that there is someone who was, who is, who has really got not just the the, the the base level of qualifications. So, so I do think there's some benefits there. I don't think necessarily, and again, I think one of the things you know, I know Anthony, you're passionate about as well, is about accessibility of advice. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess ultimately, if there's a there's a means of, of giving more people advice, and that might mean that you still have the the slightly lower entry standards, I think that is that's a benefit as well. But I yeah. do think this recognition that chartered advice provides that sort of added assurance that you're going to someone with with the real real high standards of, of, of and quality. I, I think it's a benefit for for the market overall. Yeah, and I agree. And I think just to sort of caveat that to some to, to slightly is that I think. There are some amazing advisors out there who aren't chartered. Um, so people who have been around, they might not have done their exams for whatever reason, but they've been there, they've seen it, they've done their, they've done their time, and they've got a wealth of experience that you know probably makes them a fantastic financial planner. So, and it's the same with sort of argument about this whole restricted against independent. We're an independent financial advisor. I therefore wear the independent hat. I think independent is is great. However, there are also amazing restricted advisors out there. So. It's kind of that thing of, yes, I do agree. I think chartered is, is 100% the right way to go, but it's just always the caveat to say there are, whatever you do, there are also amazing other people out there doing things for, for, different, for, for different reasons. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was curious as well. So I was looking through the data for our, um, from our NMA uh, top 100 firms, and we have some data about the qualifications that they have, and about 70% of them have um, CII chartered status, um, and then 13% have both CII chartered status and CISI accredited status. And so I was wondering what your thoughts were on whether or not it makes sense to have 
both of those um, qualifications or is it is that not necessary? What do you reckon? That is a really good question. Um, I'll answer it on the basis that we, we so I am a certified financial planner and a chartered financial planner. Um, Claire in our business is also certified and chartered. We are a chartered financial planning firm. We are members, Claire and I are members of the CISI. Um, we have decided, we haven't decided to go down the accredited route. Um, probably just because it feels like they're broadly in competition with each other. I would pro yeah. So w it would be an additional amount of work to get a similar sort of outcome. That's kind of where I positioned it. But again, I think the companies who have done it and they've, they've gone through the process of being accredited and chartered, then fair play to them. You know, they've, they've just committed to that additional sort of barrier. And I think, I think it is a great thing to do. It's just a, it's just a decision that First World decided not, not to do that. But like everything we maybe do in the future, but I think we've we've sort of we've committed to the chartered route, really. Definitely, I, I, I agree. I don't think this is a necessity, but again, it's just demonstrating that that financial planner and that firm is going above and beyond the sort of minimum baseline qualifications, which I think it just shows that you know they are investing in themselves, profession, and and trying to stand out as a mark of quality as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, earlier you mentioned um, consumer duty, Ed, so we're going to go back to that now. Um, how do you hope the reputation of financial planning will evolve with consumer duty? What do you think it's going to change um, for the profession? Yes, so I think consumer duty is interesting. It's a bit like RDR as well. So if you are a high quality financial planner, when RDR came into force, I think a lot of those financial planners didn't notice much change because they were already investing in qualifications, they were already fee-based, they were managing conflicts of interest, etc. And I think in some levels, consumer duty has a similar feel about it. So clearly it needs to be taken seriously and it's, uh, it's going to be a change. But I think high-quality financial planners really should be, should be seeing that as being a reinforcement of a lot of the good practice they should have in place already. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, in some cases, what you tend to find is sometimes regulation catches up with market best practice. So I, I think it's a it's a reinforcement, and it's also a sort of you know reestablishing the benchmark. I think so. I think so. so as I say, a lot of high quality, especially child financial planners, definitely do not underestimate consumer duty, but they should also not fear it. But it, 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 as I say, it's more resetting that benchmark expectation around what does great financial planning need to do and. And what does the regulator need to? Or, or what does the regulator actually expect off the back of that as well? What do you think, Anthony? No, I agree. I mean, I, I think um, I think for us, it's a positive piece of you know legislation. It's a positive paper in terms of it allows us to maybe have a look at other business and go right. You know, do we have different clients, different segments of clients? Do they need to be treated in terms of different advice outcomes? So different service offerings. Some might be sort of more light touch and more involved. Um, we've always offered a sort of similar approach for all clients, but I think it's probably asking questions to go, actually, probably we are better to have a maybe three different tiers, maybe a sort of family office type of client, the main offering, and then a lighter touch, whether that's a digital offering as well. So, and three different price points potentially as well. So you're offering a broader range of services to potentially more customers, which is great. And then how do you charge for those? You know, how do you charge for those sort of services? So. How much time does it take? You know, what's a profitable outcome for the for, for the business, and what represents good value to the client? And then, how do you represent and how do you demonstrate that value? So, the value is the interesting one because I think you know implicitly that you do provide that value, but then being able to articulate it, not just 
some of it's easy in pounds and pence, you know, here's a tax saving or here's a rebalancing to the capital gains tax saving of tax, that's that's easy. But it's the it's the sort of peace of mind bit or the reduction of anxiety. It's very difficult to put price on that in terms of value. But I think you can just stipulate that this is what we believe we're offering. A lot of the clients will put their own value on. I mean, when when RDR came, it's like, well, you can price what you like. And if the client doesn't want to pay you, then you've probably got your pricing wrong. But if they do, then your pricing is right. And I, I think it's the same with this. It's kind of, if a client doesn't see value, they'll go somewhere else. Whereas if they do see value, they'll stay. So you kind of know what it looks like. We have, you know, every client's different. But I think it's, what it's really doing is allowing us to think in a way to say, right, rather than just, this is what we believe. It's like, well, we need to try to decipher this down onto a piece of paper so it's a repeatable process but it will help with new client acquisition it's like right this is the value we bring to the client this is what we do so i, I think it's for us it's allowed us to probably bring some forward some of the projects we would have been doing over the next two or three years and just focus our minds on getting things done over the next whatever eight nine months yeah the, the really interesting is it so that value question i think is the one that stands out for me as well which is i think for anyone who's ever dealt with or in, in, you know interacting with a financial planner and shows the power of financial planning, there is real value being created. It goes way beyond just the traditional measures of wealth creation or wealth yeah. preservation. It is it is about financial well-being, happiness, etc., helping people achieve aspirations. And I think the more the industry sort of can determine that in a more systematic way, I think that helps sort of reinforces the value of the profession as a whole as well. So that that is the opportunity really, and hopefully uh, as a profession. Uh, we all grab that opportunity within consumer duty to say, actually, how, how do we start to determine and demonstrate the value of high quality financial planning? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so my last question is more of a thought experiment. <laughs> so let's imagine it's it's five years from now, it's 2027. And I go to someone and I ask them, you know, what do you think of financial planners? Do you trust financial planner? What would you hope they're response would be and how do you hope it would di- differ from what it would be now oh, interesting question so do you know what i might i, I might duck the, the, the questions are slightly more. <laughs> I, I, do you know what, I, i'd slightly hope that someone would be able to point to like a you know a child or a relative or a family friend or someone and say do, do you know what actually my you know i know someone who started off with a career as a, a, a or started off a, 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 on their career as a financial planner that would be a five-year type aspiration that people almost point to that as being a, a sort of, you know, sort of proud family moment or uh, something right. point to and say, do you know what, actually there's a, in the same way as someone might say, you know, my, my son's becoming a doctor or my daughter's becoming a lawyer. Um, I'd like them to, that, that would be, maybe it's a 10-year rather than five-year, but um, that would be right. a great aspiration, really. Okay, okay. Yeah. And a similar sort of, I think, I think at the moment, Financial planning is still, I would say, is still quite a small sort of cottage industry, very sort of segmented and broken up. So I think hopefully, and, you know, the big wealth managers and the big, you know, the big sort of fund managers, they're out there. Everyone knows those brands. So if we could get to the stage where you were seeing some financial planning brands build and become household names, but maybe names that we'd be recognized and go, I've seen such and such a firm and they seem to be doing some good stuff. And, it's then into the ability to get the brand out there, whether it's sort of billboard, whether it's TV marketing, and that sort of stuff where it starts to build and it starts to feel something bigger than, than it is at the moment, then, and that should happen. You know, it, that, that's, you know, you look at America, what's going on, it's happening in America. So there's no reason why it won't happen here. So 
that sort of thing. Um, is that a five-year? I probably agree with that. That's probably a, a longer term, maybe a ten-year thing. But someone's going to do it. Um, I think several firms will do it. So it's just getting their interaction and going, going faster. So uh, Ed and Benchmark will hopefully be helping First Wealth to, to to do that, won't we? As we go forward <laughs> for the next ten years. So essentially, you want a world where I, as a parent, would get disappointed if my children did not pursue financial planning. Absolutely. For example, <laughs> at, least, at least see it as a career path and say, actually, yeah. you know, that's uh, you know, so I think we all agree that you know, financial planning is you know, there's it's one of the most compelling careers you can have. So, mm-hmm. lots of people talk about wanting purpose in a career, the impact a great financial planner can have on someone's lives is immeasurable. And therefore, yeah. if you're looking for a fulfilling career, I think you know, I think you know, we'd all sign up and say, financial planning is, is you know as purpose-led than many other professions that you can explore. Um, yeah. um, especially when you compare maybe accountant or lawyer, et cetera, you know, financial planners, you know, has a meaningful impact on people's lives in, a, in such a positive way. Yeah, I'll make sure to tell my children that when I eventually have them. And Anthony, thank you so much for, for being here and thank you everybody for listening. Um, so if you'd like to get in contact with us about this episode, we're on Twitter at New Model Advisor or you can get in touch with me directly. Um, I'm cmelly, M-E-L-E-Y, at citywire.co.uk. Um, thanks again, everyone, and we'll see you next week. This CityWire podcast is sponsored by Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust. Scottish Mortgage invests in some of the world's most promising and exceptional companies. From healthcare breakthroughs to electric vehicles to a green energy revolution, Scottish Mortgage takes stakes in businesses shaping our future economy and society. As with any investment, capital is at risk. 